0: Welcome, you're listening to The Drive Podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Orlando. In our current series, we are walking through the letter of Philippians as the Apostle Paul writes to encourage the people of Philippi to live out their faith with joy and in unity. Let's listen in and see what God has in store for us. We are finishing Philippians tonight. It's only taken five months. Some of y'all are happy. Last week, we talked about stability, right? Right about how all of us want to be firm, right? How none of us wanna be shaken to and fro by circumstances or things that happen in our lives. And that's what we see in chapter four of Philippians, right? Paul gives us some witnesses of what stability looks like in a Christian who is maturing and growing in their life. We've all met those people who are not stable. We don't wanna hang out with them. We don't wanna have conversations with them. They're double-minded, they're wispy, they don't have a lot of depth, it's hard to keep a conversation with them. There's just something lacking in their life, and if we're a believer, if we belong to Jesus Christ, man, we want to be stable, we want to be rock solid, we want to be firm, and Paul says there's some witnesses, four of them in the fourth chapter of Philippians, that should be on display for believers who are growing in their faith. The first two we saw last week, joy and peace. There should be a sense of joy in our lives and peace when we are growing in our faith. Tonight we look at the other two witnesses. Let's jump in. Philippians 4 verse 10. Philippians 4 verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Okay, so what's happening here, the context of the passage that we're going to look at is ultimately about Paul's gratitude for the Philippians because they are reviving their concern for him by giving him money. They used to give him money financially. They supported his ministry. Then for some reason they stopped and we're not exactly sure why, but now they've been able to revive their concern. Epaphroditus, right? Paul's brother in crime who went to Philippi and started that church there along with Paul. He has gone to Paul. He's come back with the letter and they, he was able to carry the money to Paul. And so Paul is gracious and he wants to call attention and recognize these guys' gratitude. But he's not just, gra- he's not just grateful for their money. Paul's grateful because these believers are demonstrating maturity by doing the right thing. By taking their resources and stewarding them and pouring them into the ministry. You, you get that, right? Like when we become Christians, it's not just here's my heart. It's here's my life. And that means here's my wallet also, Lord. Like how can I begin to steward my resources for the kingdom? And so Paul is super excited and he's grateful for their ministry to him financially. But he doesn't want them, he doesn't want them to be mistaken. That it's not just the money he's grateful for. He's grateful that God is moving in them. He's moving through them. He's growing them up. But in the midst of this theme on generosity and giving, Paul speaks about these two witnesses to stability. Contentment and strength. Contentment and strength. And both of them go hand in hand. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak from want. Contentment is not a new idea to us. We've talked about it here before at the drive because really Philippians is all about contentment, right? It's all about Paul learning to see through his circumstances and live above his circumstances. Remember, he's in jail and yet he was allowing his chains to become an offering of praise and God was using his chains. Remember, Paul's chains were the road that God was traveling so that the entire imperial guard could hear the gospel. Paul says, I don't want you to be mistaken, brethren. My chains are working out for the greater progress of the gospel. Contentment was nothing new to Paul, but Paul wanted them to know here that contentment meant it isn't just tied to our stuff. See, verse 10, Paul was grateful for the gift that the Philippians sent, but being more than grateful for the gift, he was grateful for the right response that was coming from those who were growing in faith. That's what he's excited about here, but He needs them to know that there is a contentment and a satisfaction that is deeper than material wealth. And it's something that we all need to know as well, especially living in the most prosperous country in the world. That's why Paul opens in verse 11, not that I speak from want, Philippians, thank you for the gift. I'm grateful. I'm so stoked to see the generosity of Christ flowing through your life, but don't misunderstand me. I'm not coming from a place where I am without. There is a deeper well of satisfaction that I'm drawing from. But see in verse 11, this well of contentment that Paul speaks of, it wasn't something that he just stumbled upon, right? Look at verse 11. It tells it that this contentment was learned for I have learned to be content what does that imply what does it imply that he had to learn content what's that he wasn't content before before. yeah common sense someone else it doesn't come naturally (laughs) no not to human beings contentment did not come naturally true he doesn't have to be happy i know a lot of people that are in prison that are happy but you're right yeah this is the situation i'm in this is the circumstance i'm in i'm not content about prison but i am content about what god can and will do through my circumstances like where are my engineers at how did you learn to engineer <laughs> Right, you you practiced. You went to school. You read. You studied. My teachers, where, where are my teachers at? Same deal. Moms, dads, where are you at? How'd you learn to parent? You failed miserably, right? And you continued to go along the way. That's how we're doing it. Like, I hope I'm not wrecking my kid's life. Uh, she's four now, so hopefully she'll forget everything I've done wrong. But we learn, we read, we study, we go to school, we practice, we do what's right, we do what's wrong, we do what's right and we stick with it. We see what didn't work and hopefully we discard those methods. Contentment is learned and this should be an encouragement to us. Because even Paul at the end of this letter says, listen, contentment is something that I needed to be enrolled in. Some of us keep needing to be re-enrolled in this course of contentment because as we'll see we're trying to find contentment in something it was never meant to bring contentment is found in one place so how did paul learn contentment in whatever circumstances he entered into whatever the circumstances and he let god teach him there this is important okay because whatever circumstances you're in right now whatever crisis whatever prison, whatever chains, those very well may be the very place that God is trying to teach you contentment. We're pretty sure that Paul came from wealthy means. I mean, go back and read chapter three, the dude's resume, he had everything. And so I don't think Paul learned contentment before he met Jesus. No, I think Paul learned dependence on God through the failure of his circumstances to ultimately meet his needs. Let me say that again. Paul learned contentment and dependence upon God through his circumstances, failing to meet his needs. The same is true for all of us. Until we learn that our circumstances and whatever we're really hoping for can't save us, can't meet our needs, then we're gonna keep running back to that broken cistern to try to get full. And so whatever situation we're in, man, whatever circumstance, I'm convinced God wants you there. He's teaching you contentment. there's a caveat, though. If you're in a relationship where you're getting beat... Okay? We need to talk and you need to get out of that situation or any other number of situations that are sinful that you shouldn't be in. But nine times out of 10, God has us where we're at in a career, in a relationship possibly, in a city that you just wanna get out of because God wants you to learn contentment. And here's one of the ways to determine if you've been struggling with discontentment, okay? Here, here, have you struggled with this lie lately? If only, "Mm," and then I'd be content. If only fill in the blank, if only I could have that job, pay off that bill, find a spouse, get out of this situation, change this vocation. If only I could have fill in the blank, then I would be content. And guys, the empty promise of the world is basically this. If you make enough money and you have better health and you have the ability to travel and you fill in the blank, somehow this one thing I'm lacking will make me content. And, and it's hard. I'm speaking to the crowd. It's hard not to look at the created world in which we live and try to find contentment. But Paul is saying, I've experienced all the things. And I'm convinced there is no contentment here. I've had the good and the bad. I've had the little and I've had the lot. I've come to the conclusion that the circumstances, the stuff, they've got nothing to do with true contentment. And in fact, I think in in Paul's case, and I believe in to some extent ours as well, God allows those circumstances to train us to that conclusion. But oh, how we fight the lesson, insisting that the created world can really come through for us and provide us the things we think will satisfy. And to that, Paul says, there's no such contentment that exists. See, Paul knew the contentment of both possession, he had all the things, and position. The dude was a somebody in the world in which he lived. But both of those were lessons he had to unlearn in order to write verse 11. And so the question becomes for all of us, how do we do content when our circumstances are not conducive to content? How do we do content? Because I'm pretty sure some of our circumstances are not what should or could be fostering contentment. When our circumstances don't provide the stuff of contentment. If we're to learn from Paul, it means that we have to arrive at a place where we stop looking to the circumstances or the stuff to provide what only God can provide. And this is where that second witness comes in, the witness of strength contentment and strength, they go together. Verse 12, Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in a prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he tells us the secret. I can what? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. For Paul, the strategy of life, real life, was independent of his circumstances. Remember the hinge verse, chapter 1, verse 21? It's the hinge, I believe, that he hangs his hat on for the whole book. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Christ is life to me, whether I have little or I have more than I need. Are we able to make that conclusion tonight? Better, if Paul specified what he learned from getting along with humble means, I think he says something along the lines of, it teaches us a desperate dependence on God that should be the norm regardless of what we have. Getting along with humble means teaches us the value and the power of the prayer. Give us this day, our daily bread, Lord. But Paul also says, I know how to live in prosperity. We live in a prosperous culture, Right? think you'd all agree. And yet few people know how to do that correctly. And learning the secret of how to live in prosperity will mean we see everything we have is from the hand of God and we're simply been entrusted as stewards. You know what a steward is? Steward's kind of like a trustee. They'd be like a trustee today. And do you know that it is illegal? You will go to jail as a trustee if you use someone else's goods or their funds for your own benefit or your personal agenda? Guys, the Bible's very clear to whom much is given much will be required i do not want to stand before god when he says hey what did you do with my resources and i'm like i got more tvs in my house than people i got the latest iphone as soon as it hit the market and i didn't allow my resources to push kingdom agenda forward to work for kingdom expansion. So Paul could do hungry, Paul could do well-fed, Paul could have abundance, he could suffer need because Paul knew that his circumstances, humble or prosperous, were not the indicators of God's love. Hear me, guys. Your circumstances are not indicators of God's love. Circumstances never are indicators of God's love. The cross is God's indicator of God's love for you. Always that. It's not, if God really loved me, then he wouldn't let me walk through this situation. That is a faulty theology that will always fail you. Prosperity theology, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's not biblical. Jesus was a man who suffered, a man of sorrows who didn't have a place to lay his head. And yet we're called to be conformed to his image. Why would God not do the same for us? Right? So circumstances are never indicators of God's love. Instead, they're invitation to trust God's love in ways that will declare his glory both to us and through us. Circumstances are the sound God's voice is making, calling us to trust him and his goodness to us. Even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it. And I'm speaking from experience. Because I've had hard circumstances. I've shared some of them with you. And I know some of y'all have some really horrible things that have happened in your life. And yet God is in, the war, is in the business of taking those hard things and working them for good. But God's also in the business of redefining our definition of good. So circumstances don't indicate God's love. And so we come back to the secret, okay? How do we learn this contentment? verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And all God's people said, Tim Tebow, right? I mean, I love Tim. We go way back. We had Tim's dad come and do a Youth for Christ events once um, in Sebring. He yelled at us for an hour and a half, straight fire and brimstone. His dad lives on the missions field. So if you ever have a choice, invite Tim and not his dad, okay? This is a powerful verse, right? And it's often, we're going to have to scrub that part from the thing. This is a powerful and a misunderstood verse. For starters, it doesn't mean I can do everything right? A la Superman. That's, that's not what it means. This verse gets taken hostage by the athletic soundbite, right? You know, it, it just applies to any accomplishment. Hey, you've, you've just won the tournament. You've been named MVP. What, what do you attribute to that? Well, you know, first thing I got to say, Brent, is, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It sounds really good in that moment, doesn't it? But it kind of eliminates every other believer in the game, right? And so it's definitely, it's definitely not to be taken out of context. And the context clearly points to all things as being plenty or want. The all things are Paul's circumstances. Whether he had litter or he had lots, he was made able through Christ. See this. Whatever the circumstances, his response was in and through the power of Christ, whether he had a little or whether he had a lot There's the power, there's the strength. Both our contentment and our strength is found in Christ and it is available to us to the degree that we grasp our home in Christ. It's all you're gonna hear from me for as long as I have this post. That your security, your, your commitment that God has poured out on you is to the degree that you understand that you are at home in Jesus Christ and Christ has come and taken residence inside of you and you have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. You are missing nothing to live victoriously and faithfully and courageously because God lives inside of you by way of his son, through his Holy Spirit. God calls you home. It should blow our minds. And so to the degree that we understand I'm in Christ, Christ is in me and he is my contentment and my strength. We will find maturity and stability regardless of what storms come in our life. And so Philippians 4.13 is not, I can do anything it's not. It's clearly everything I need to do. All the things I'm required to do, all the things that I'm commanded to do by scripture, I'm capable of doing them through him, Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. That word translated through there, it means because of or on account of. Literally, we have to go through Christ in order to act. That's such a beautiful picture. We have to go through Christ. It means in every situation we find ourselves, every circumstance, we can look through Christ, learning to see everything in light of his commitment to us. And you know what his commitment to us is? I will never leave you, forsake you. God's commitment to us in Christ is found later in this chapter 419, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus. Where are God's riches and glory? They're in Christ. Where are you in Christ? You've got all the riches and glory of Christ doesn't look like that and it doesn't translate to paid bills sometimes that's when God is asking you to trust him by faith and watch and see how he's going to meet your needs faithfully Ephesians 1 says you have been blessed with everything in spiritual places in Christ everything you need is in Christ we keep looking for something beyond Jesus Christ and Jesus is like I'm all you need so we don't need to run around to every service, every worship gathering, every prayer gathering, every prophecy conference looking for something else. You have Jesus. Go to those things and rejoice, but you have Jesus, and he is our needs met. And so if, if living life through Christ, right, and his strength is one option over here, then there's really only one other option, and that's through our own strength, right? Right? And because our culture champions hard work and success, we're tempted to approach the life of faith from this standpoint of our own either inability or ability. But Paul's been pretty clear all along in Philippians, as well as the entire New Testament, that your good works do nothing for your salvation. Your good works do nothing to curry favor with God. Our work can't purchase God's forgiveness. Our performance consistently falls way low of the standard that God has raised up in Jesus Christ and his cross. Perfection, none of us can get there. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus shows us in the Sermon on the Mount that none of us can live the kingdom life. That's the goal. But he can and he will in us, as us and through us. It's the beauty of the gospel. And so the only options we really have are, do I rely on myself? Do I trust in myself? Do I look for contentment in the created world? Or do I lean hard into Jesus Christ, his strength, allowing him to show me that he's my needs met and he is my contentment. And his strength is always available to us, for us. Listen, none of us will ever have all that we want. You won't, okay? Because there's always gonna be something else your heart wants. So just hang that up. And none of us are ever going to be everything we want to be because eternity has been placed on our hearts. We were created for another place. And so this will never satisfy us. There will always be a longing, and that longing is to be found in Christ and in the future that He's bringing to us. That's a statement of fact. And yet the promise for us throughout scripture, Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, John 15, is that as we abide in Christ, as we cling to Jesus, as we grow our roots into the soil that is Christ and his grace, there will be an abundance of fruitfulness and a lasting sense of purpose and meaning and satisfaction, guys. Contentment is found in Christ and it is available through Christ's abiding strength. These are witnesses of stability, but they come as we get a consciousness of Jesus. That's why we look to Jesus. It's why we sing about Jesus. It's why we talk about Jesus. It's why some of y'all need to look to Jesus more and talk about Jesus more and think about Jesus more. It's why the writer of Hebrews says we fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame. Jesus saw the joy through the cross and went so that he could bring us back to the father. Thank you. Man, just meditate. Just think about that. Just thank him for that and watch how your affections get elevated and all the circumstances of your life begin to kind of flit away. Ultimately, this is a matter of faith. It was a matter of faith to Paul. And it's a matter of faith to us. Faith in Jesus who died for us, who lives in us, who desires to live and express his life through us. Guys, feelings of discontentment are meant to drive us to the sufficiency of Christ. Feelings of weakness and inadequacy are meant to do the same. And both of these things, contentment, strength, joy, peace, and all of these are witnesses of the mature life that's promised for those who abide in Christ who find their home in him and continually cling to him i hope you've enjoyed philippians it's been a long journey but that you know now as i have repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over truths that we learn from this letter that, man, they're in your back pocket. And that when life happens and when crisis hits, you know where to go to. That you find yourself in Philippians, sharing about what God is doing in your life. That's my hope and my encouragement as we walk through scripture. So I'm glad and, and grateful for you guys bearing with me for five long months. Next series, I won't hang out in one verse for a week or two, or maybe, I don't know. Let me pray about it. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to see you on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. in the Student Center at First Baptist Orlando. You can check us out on Facebook. It is the easiest way to get in touch with us and find out what is going on in our ministry.